Hello and welcome to the Ramen Profitable Podcast. My name is Atish Mazumdar and I'm here with my co-pilot, the great and powerful Chris Scott. And this is the podcast about testing out your ideas, taking your first steps, and really overcoming those obstacles on the way to entrepreneurship. Enjoy. All right. So uh, if you haven't listened to uh, last week's episode, that would be the holiday special part one. Uh, Just to kind of give you the background, uh, Chris and I have started an annual tradition because uh, most of the time we do align on some movies where we we end up watching the same movies. But for the most part, we have two independent libraries of movies that we watch and that we enjoy. Um, And we have some turf in the middle where we've watched the same movie, but oftentimes we disagree. For instance, my intense hatred of Lord of the Rings. Um, is, is a prime You don't example. hate Lord of the Rings. You just don't like the movies. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, sh- I should be clear. I don't, or maybe it's not even that I don't like the movies. It's that I've seen them once in my life and that was enough. Like I, it's too exhausting. I'm not going to do it again. All right. And so everyone stops suggesting it to me. Damn it. But, um, so we do these holiday specials to broaden each other's horizons. Um, and the format that we are kind of taking on is uh we we did one obscure movie that that our listeners might have missed so last week uh we talked about chris's movie that he selected for me which was uh blind fury and uh my movie that i selected for him a hundred foot journey or the hundred foot journey um so those were the obscure movies if you want to check those out definitely go look at last week's episode um and uh see if uh, those obscure movies might be for you this week, we're tackling something a little bit different. Um, I have been a lifelong James Bond fan. I feel like, uh, Chris, you're the same. Yeah, I, I feel like definitely he's definitely one of the cool guy characters yeah. that has been like constant for decades. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he does a lot of cool things that you kind of wish he could do. Right. You know, like drive cars, have gadgets shoot people yeah. yeah exactly exactly all those things um you know and, and i started Drink. watching yeah <laughs> uh he i started watching bond movies as a kid with my dad and um I, so i grew up always wanting to be bond and uh i think uh chris you've seen you've seen the whole the whole library uh, i have seen the whole library yes yeah I, I made one work through. So I've seen the whole library or the catalog, I think, is the way you should reference that. I don't know why I called it library, but whatever. Ignore that. Because you're a nerd. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I've, I've seen the whole catalog myself. I did one purposeful, uh, in, like, intentional watch through where I started at Dr. No and worked my way f- uh, forwards. Uh, but but a lot of these, you know, I haven't, I haven't seen multiple times, and I've really only seen the one time. So... Uh, I think I'm not sure, but I think Chris and I disagree on who the best Bond is, and I think we certainly disagree on which are the best Bond movies. So that kind of drove this decision to this year. In addition to the obscure uh, movies that you might have missed, we also wanted to add in a Bond movie to have each other watch, and we would. Uh, I mean, I'm interested by your your choice. So, so I'm interested by know, your choice. A, yeah. <laughs> So just off the top, uh, Chris had me watch uh, a, not a View to a Kill for your eyes only. For your eyes only. Sorry, uh, for for your eyes only. And, uh, Tish had me watch Diamonds Are Forever. Yeah. So let's. Uh, let, which uh, which one do you want to dive into first? 
Um, well, let's let's talk about our selections for a second. Okay. Like, yeah. what was your process in selecting Diamonds Are Forever? <sighs> okay. Because when you when we first were talking about this, you mentioned some Roger Moore films. I think Live and Let Die was one. I think I know A View to a Kill wasn't one. No. Um. No. Uh. It. I mentioned Man with the Golden Gun. Man with the Golden Gun with Scaramanga. Yep. Scaramanga. Yeah. Um, I mentioned uh, Live and Let Die, which is another Roger Moore one. Right. Um, I mentioned which other. I didn't mention the Lazenby one. That definitely is not on my list. Right. I, I may have mentioned. Um, did I mention License to Kill, the, the Timothy Dalton one? He didn't speak fondly of it. Yeah. You kept going, yeah, weird Timothy Dalton ones because you couldn't even remember his name at some point. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he was what? He was in two of them and, and Lazenby. Them, yeah. Okay. So here's basically the process surrounding why I selected Diamonds Are Forever. Uh, basically, the way that I see it is we have uh, a lot of different takes on James Bond. Right. A lot of different takes on James Bond. I think they range from being very serious to being very uh, comical, campy, bordering on the cartoonish. Yes. And so what I would like to say is that no interpretation is incorrect, or just like how they say there are no stupid questions, but, but, you know, just like no interpretation is solidly incorrect, but I think the ultimate Bond is a marriage of the two, right? Right. Because Bond as a character, as you as you called out, right, part of what makes us attracted to Bond as a character is just how capable he is. He can do it all, right? Yeah. He gets in the car. He's doing whatever. As I saw in um, in, in your choice, uh, it's a lot of it's very ski heavy in, in yeah, this Yeah, there's one. lots of skiing in the movie. Lots of skiing. And, and man, can he ski. Um, but also he, deep sea diving. Deep sea diving, uh, he can he can tango, he can dance, he can woo the ladies, like he can really do it all. He can play uh, high stakes poker. So part of what makes us so attracted to Bond as a person is just how capable he is. And so that's kind of why I think that really the ideal Bond is a marriage of the two personality styles that throughout the movies are kind of conflicting. And then my ultimate Bond, I believe is a marriage of the two. Now, I didn't pick my ultimate Bond as my representation, but I did pick one that I think is at least somewhat of a representation of that. So what I mean is that we have Roger Moore, who was the character for the longest, I think. I think he was in like eight. He was in a lot of them, yeah. He was in a lot of them. And I would say the campiest and the corniest of them happen in his timeline which i think also is just bound to happen based on the fact that it was during the 70s and uh like the 70s and 80s yeah yeah so you know that that just kind of comes with the space comes with the territory but it also was just the embodiment of roger moore in general it's like first of all by the end of his term he's starting to look real old (laughs) like well Sean Connery's looking kind of old in Diamonds yeah, Are Forever. And th- yeah, and th- th- that's a fair point in Diamonds Are Forever. So, so you know, to 
that basically a balance between the two. The reason why I picked Diamonds Are Forever is because I think Sean Connery tends to stray more towards the serious hardline Bond as opposed to the, uh, you know, the the other side. The but campy I picked side. The campy side. But I picked the older version of him, not the younger version of him, because I think that's where it starts to have that kind of interplay between the two. Uh, Dr. No, for instance... The very first Bond introduces us to the fun aspects of Bond where he's like saying sly things or like um, Goldfinger, you know, dumps the person or there's the guy who got judo tossed into the bath. Then he knocks the toaster in and he says, shocking, positively shocking, you know, whatever. Yeah, there's there's a fun kind of aspect to it. The longer the movies kind of went on. And so Into Diamonds Are Forever is once... um, Sean Connery had left and then came back. Right. It kind of starts to introduce like that he's less of the hardline bond and more kind of gravitating towards the more approachable in between. Um, Thunderball starts to do this and then into Diamonds Are Forever where there's like just ridiculous. <laughs> there's ridiculous stuff that happens um, and it kind of sets the stage for that interplay, I believe. Yeah, so. it definitely Thunderball definitely starts that snowball of uh henchmen with armies you know yes, that yes. are there's an army of deep sea divers with harpoon guns but also the british government has an army of soldiers with harpoon guns and they can have those battles underwater right. uh, all the way up to in space having space battles with each right. other with you know it's in moonraker so uh, that definitely is where i believe diamonds are forever is the campiest sean connery movie oh yeah oh yeah and for sure it's uh, ridic- it's a ridiculous at times, but uh, it's interesting. Interesting uh, why you chose that one. Yeah, because- so, so that was kind of my thought process surrounding like, uh, because I'll, I'll tell you this, uh, my my number one Bond wasn't either of ours, but uh, but I also thought it was a little too obvious. It's a little too on the nose. I'll explain that later uh, once we just get into a full, because I know where this conversation ends. This conversation ends with you and I debating who is the ultimate bond or who we think is the best i'll get there um soon enough but basically i then wanted to pick somebody who i think represents both sides of the of the house and Uh and i think that uh this movie was campy and it gets it it doesn't age as well as it could have um there's (laughs) there's definitely it's not it's not like Moonraker, where there's a whole bunch of space lasers and stuff like that, which right, definitely right. kind of knocks it. But it definitely has some like kind of rough, rough points in it as well. Um, but it still has Sean Connery. He's very believable in the role. That was kind of that was kind of my you know thought process surrounding it. Why don't you walk me through um, for your eyes only? What what made you pick that one? Well, I think for me it was mostly nostalgia based. Okay, sure. So I. I often think about James Bond theme songs. For some reason, theme songs pop in my head a lot. Mm-hmm. And I think this is one of the better ones. I do think For Your Eyes Only is a pretty solid song. I was actually debating if I was going to do this one or uh, The Spy Who Loved Me. Ooh, which one but is uh, that one? That's the one with, with the Russian, where he kills the Russian and he like skis off the mountain and he parachutes. With the British flag as a parachute, yes, yes, and then yes, he has yes, to yes. work with the Russian counterpart, who was the wife of the man that he killed, and yep. there's that tension. But I feel like that one drags a lot in the middle. Yeah, 
but I also I confuse these two. It's basically the same plot as For Your Eyes Only. Right. <laughs> where he's working with the woman who lost her family, blah, 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 blah. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I, I was trying to avoid the one where he meets that annoying ice skating girl. Mm. And I picked the one where he meets the one with the uh, annoying ice skating girl. Yeah. But I I, I definitely confuse the two because the when they're getting dragged by the boat, I thought that was in The Spy Who Loved Me, but it's not. I have to oh. rewatch The Spy Who Loved Me. Yeah, Again, I might have just, to revisit uh, that one. Is that one uh, Lazenby? No, that's uh, Roger Moore. Uh, there's a Roger Moore one, and I do think they go to Egypt, and they're they're walking through ruins at in Egypt or something. I don't remember. I got to watch it again. It's been a while. Yeah, that's and, and I mean that's something that's just kind of fun about these movies in general is that they are very much like from the original all the way until the most recent one. They're very globe trotting movies. Like yeah. it's it's fun to see him put these sets into these kind of places like that. But but for me, I I don't know if I can say like I don't know if I'll ever come to a have I come to a definitive decision as to who the best Bond is. Yeah, I don't I don't think you firmly have. I firmly have. I don't think you have. I haven't, and I I believe it's more of a. I don't care who's playing the role as long as the movie is good and fun and and checks all the the ticks for a decent bond movie. Mm-hmm. I, I I have the same feelings about who's the best Batman. Mm. You know, it's like, Oh, it's obviously, it's obviously George Clooney. Right. Like, no, it's not. It's not George Clooney. <laughs> but, uh, so I feel like maybe this happened to you as well. We watched these movies as kids mm-hmm. and I feel like the most kid friendly ones are the Roger Moore ones because the ridiculousness they have like, like there's and during the ski chase where he like jumps out of the when they're bobsledding, yeah. There's, yeah, there's yeah, like yeah. that weird, you know, zing, like they yeah. have sound effects in there. Uh huh. You know, they're they're a little more campy. They have more jokes that you don't really understand. But like, I feel like that's why younger people associate easier with Roger Moore versus a Sean Connery movie because they're kind of more serious, more stern, more. That's what my dad right. watches. Yep, I watch Roger exactly. Moore. Yep, exactly. And 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 that's that's definitely something because for me, I ended up getting this kind of uh like I watch it in the same way that I think people watch ESPN classics. Uh-huh. Do you know what I'm talking about where they're just like, "Ah, what a what a time." Like and they just like, you know, they're they're it's soothing to them, right? It's like that's Bond to me in a weird way because they're they're action movies, you know, and especially the more recent that you get, specifically once you hit Brosnan and beyond, uh-huh. Um, they're really kind of focusing more on being like gritty action, you know, that sort of thing. Um, so, so it's kind of at that point that sort of stops, but then I start to enjoy them for a whole different purpose. But from everything before Brosnan, I have almost this weird, like, I, I just f- feel like it's very soothing. I love watching them because it's like the, the dialogue is from a different time a little bit and the way, you know, I, I just love them for that reason. But there certainly is a, a kind of uh, atmospheric difference between watching a Connery, for instance, and a, and a Roger Moore. And and neither of them, like, I, I like both of them for different reasons. So that's, that's right. for instance, why I considered uh, doing Live and Let Die for a period in time, because I, I don't remember if that's his first one or which one that is. But I, yes, I, th- I believe it is. But there's elements that are just, you know, you see them in Roger Moore ones, that you don't see in other ones that it's just sort of like more playful. You know what I mean? Right. Um, there's a more modern bond that I think really takes off on the Roger Moore tone, but blends it. Um, 
And that's the most recent one. Not not well, the most recent one we've been able to watch. Spectre. Uh-huh. Yeah. I think Spectre is a Roger Moore tone, but executed by Daniel Craig, obviously. Interesting. It it ends up doing the dark gritty thing because all of the modern movies have to do the dark gritty thing. But uh for instance, the same exact thing, right? The sound effect off the off the off the luge, if you will. Uh-huh. Um, same kind of thing happens in the opening of Spectre. They have that great, you know, tracking shot of the uh, uh, um, de los Muertos parade, and then you know, oh, yeah, he's just and then, walking across the building, it's, right? And then he walks collapse, across the yeah. building. So when he does that thing, he shoots, and there's that big explosion. It causes the the thing to crumble. He ends up sliding down the crumbling building that's being destroyed directly onto a couch, and he lands sitting on a couch. That's something that would have happened in a Roger Moore movie for sure. Like, that's a Roger Moore tone. I think that they kind of carry that with the movie. Yeah. Okay, I can see that. I can see that. Anyways, so so Roger Moore so, was your Bond, basically. Starting, it wasn't off. it wasn't my Bond, but it was the one that was most fun to watch because you know, as a younger person, you want fun, you want. And and this one, I feel like it definitely has a a lot going on in it. There's a lot of action. It's a lot. It's a fast paced movie. Mm-hmm. There's definitely one uh, lull in it, but mm-hmm. it's just like it just goes, goes, goes. And he does a lot of cool things. There's the car chase. There's the the ski chase. There's when yep. he's rock climbing, and he's you know falling off the side of a mountain. Uh, they're being dragged underwater, going to submarines and stuff. So there's a lot going on in this movie. Oh yeah, that's that's something that I was gonna say having watched it. Um... So, so I don't know. Should we? Should I just dive right in into? But that's my that's take? why I chose this one because it was nostalgic. There's uh, action packed, and I feel like uh, the theme song was really good. Yeah, yeah. the 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 theme song is good. It's of the better theme songs. I think um, there's definitely there's some real shitty ones, mm-hmm. uh, and um, uh, but but it's it's good. It's got all the the nice stuff. And when I think about Bond, I think about a very capable person. Man, this movie highlights that. There's a car chase. There's a ski chase. There's um, underwater deep sea diving. There's, uh, like, what else does he do? There's a brief, uh, I mean, there's there's a lot of fist fights, a lot of that. There's a rock climbing scene. There's, yep. um, it's like, man, he can do it all. He can do it all. Like it's it's great. That's exactly what I want to see out of Bond. Is that obviously he's going up against these, uh, you know, circumstances that are going to challenge him and stuff like that. But that he has the confidence and he just executes anyways and does what he needs to do. Um, I thought that was a lot of fun. Um, it's a classic plot. It's a classic Bond plot where it's here's this device. That now can be acquired because of, you know, something happened and because of that inciting action, here's this device which now, you know, it's either the Brits get to it or the goddamn Russians get to it. You know what God I mean? Goddamn like, Russians. It's, it's, you'll see that basically and I'm specifically being or I'm being non-specific because that plot you'll see in Bond movies everywhere like yeah that's it's, it's the formula yeah it's the, it's the formula and some of them lean a little bit heavy heavier on that formula than others but in this case it sets it up really nice um in the sense that like like you said it gets the plot forward there's an attack on a british ship there's a some kind of uh, like code descrambler. I, I wasn't sure what the ATAC stood for. Uh, yeah, they said it, but it didn't make sense. It didn't make sense. So I don't know. Yeah. It's it's either a code descrambler or oh no 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 no. It could it could 
position your weapons, you know, that way so you'd be able to attack from a larger distance or something. I don't know. It's it's a no, device. No, it, I, I think it was you could take over someone else's. I know they talked about having uh, British submarines fire upon yes. England. So yes. something to that regards of controlling another person's weapon. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It was, it's something that device. I mean, and like that's kind of the thing. When you're watching Bond movies, don't focus too much on that. It doesn't matter. Like it, right? It, it like plays into it sometimes. Like in um, Die Another Day, which is a Brosnan one, uh, where then you actually do see the laser that they're talking about or whatever. But it doesn't always come into play. This is one of those movies where it's just oh my goodness, we forgot what? about the opening scene and for your eyes only. Uh, before the the British sub attack. Yeah, where he's like visiting his like wife's grave. Oh yeah, and that guy with the the bald guy with the cat is there, and he like takes over his helicopter. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. That man, I actually can't believe I forgot about that because uh, yeah. First of all, I just watched this, and I actually have a problem with this. This is where my I, first. I, I assume you would, but man, that's a that's a banger of a scene. Right, they open this movie direct. So I think this is the direct sequel to. Uh, that's the Lazenby one. Uh, Wait, no, it can't be though. No, I think they ignore the Lazenby one in Diamonds Are Forever. Okay, I'm getting man, I'm getting the timeline mixed up because I know that the idea was that isn't it? Blofeld kills his wife, and then he says we had all the time in the world. That's Lazenby, right? But they ignore that. Okay, anyways, so the point is, is in the opening scene, Bond has tracked down. Uh, Blofeld, or, or rather, Blofeld is terrorizing him in a in a helicopter, or or uh, is ter- terrorizing him with a drone piloted helicopter. Which it's like, did they have that tech back then? I don't think they did. Like, well, it's just like it's it's just a remote control. Like he's yeah. controlling the helicopter via remote control. Yeah, yeah. After he shocks the a helicopter pilot through his headphones, which was really hilarious. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it's like I wonder if we have that tech now. Like that's interesting. Anyways, um, I'm sure we do. But it it does one of my things that drives me crazy about movies uh, like this when they're when they're franchise movies. It doesn't really bother me that much. But it was my problem with um, one of the Spider Man movies. It was my problem with the Sherlock Holmes movies. It was my problem with you know whatever. It's like. You have this character who was the bad guy for basically the series. Like, Moriarty is the counterpoint to Holmes. And what did they do? They ostensibly killed him off in the second fucking movie. It's like, why introduce him and kill him off in the same movie? Or even, and in this case, it's not, they haven't introduced Blofeld within that movie. He was introduced several others. But I just know that people who come after you are just thinking, what the fuck? Like, why'd you, you just burned one of our best characters or counterpoints uh, in just like in the beginning of this scene. They, they he, Bond ends up getting control over the, the helicopter and ends up uh, dumping Blofeld into a smokestack. <laughs> yeah, which is pretty cool. It's, it's crazy because Blofeld's in a, in a wheelchair. And he just uh, he ends up getting him and just dropping him in a smokestack. It's absolutely insane. Just a crazy opening. Um, yeah, I forgot about that. Yeah, but but to me, that what that was, it's like this is uh, this isn't uh, Roger Moore's first James Bond. 
Right. His first one was Liver Let Die. I think this yes. is uh, his third one. Uh, I think because I know that there's one after this. Let's see. Uh, we went from Diamonds Are Forever to Live and Let Die to The Man with the Golden Gun to The Spy Who Loved Me to Moonraker to Octopussy. Moonraker. Octopussy yeah. Where is it? Oh, it's after Moonraker. It's after Moonraker. Okay, so it's on the tail end then. Oh, yeah, 1981. It kind of makes sense that it is, though. Yeah. So that's it's his fifth movie. Wow. Wow. Uh, I can't make my point anymore. I thought it would happen sooner than that. Well, but, but I think, A, I think this is one of the better Roger Moore ones, for sure. Mm-hmm. It, or at least in my humble opinion. Uh, he also did the Christopher Walken one, right? And I thought that one was dog shit. A View to a Kill. That one yeah. was, but it had uh, uh, Grace Jones in it. And Grace Jones was great. Doing some legit like fight scenes. Yeah. 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 Like throwing, like picking him up and like yeah. throw him off that blimp. Yeah. 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 I, I definitely dug that aspect of it for sure. Um, yeah. So, so it kind of breaks. I mean, so it's not. I don't think well, it's I guess that. my my point that I was trying to make was that this is the end of Spectre. Like Blofeld was like Spectre basically, right? Yeah. And so it was kind of like the end of that era of that bad guy of that organization. It's like they they will that we're moving on. I guess that's fair that you know you don't want to be mired in the same kind of plot structure forever or have the same yeah. bad guy forever. I, I think maybe, maybe you're right there. I just I think killing him off is a that that was kind of my issue. With um, so that's my issue. Like it's most overt in um, uh, Spider-Man three, the the Tobey Maguire ones, uh-huh. which like already those are pretty regrettable. But like at the same time, people have to remember that back then we didn't have high standards for superhero movies; they were dog shit. So right, right, you know. Um, but they introduce Venom and then kill him off in the same movie, and Venom is. The Spider-Man villain. Like, when you think about it, you think of two. The Green Goblin, because he's always the first in the Spider-Man canon. And Uh Venom, who's the most interesting one because he's a counterpoint. He has some of the same qualities as Spider-Man. But where Spider-Man is weak in these points, Venom picks it up. And that's what makes him so formidable. And then you get an offshoot of Venom, which is Carnage, who's just like a more extreme version of Venom. Just like more, like, doesn't care about anything and doesn't have any morals or anything like that. So... So I thought it was fucking weird that they introduced the character and then kill off Eddie Brock within the same fucking movie. You know, it didn't make any sense to me. So the same thing, uh, like that was kind of my thing with the opening of this. It's like they just kill off Blofeld. And that was my issue with Spectre. Uh, the new, the new, uh, newest one. It's like you introduced the iconic, you know, thing. And to their credit, they didn't kill him. Uh-huh. That was the thing. I thought they were going to kill him, and then I was going to be really pissed because it's like you introduce, you rebooted the franchise basically, and you introduce the iconic villain, and then you basically cripple him within one one go. You know, so. It, it, well, I I do think that sometimes, especially like back in the day with Spider Man, like um, a trilogies were like the cap. Yeah. They didn't make, you know, 21 superhero movies. It was like right, a trilogy. Yeah. yeah. And so I'm I'm sure that's why they introduced Venom and then killed him off immediately. Also, didn't Moriarty uh die in the book series? Wasn't that part of the one of the plots where him him dying was like kicking off this bigger plan that Sherlock had to solve? I don't know, beats me. All right. Anyway. <laughs> thanks, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. Yeah, thanks. Uh 
But yeah, so okay, so it, it has that opening, it, it, but it does kick you off in the right way. Um, you know, you've got a classic Bond joke uh, into the title sequence. You know, d- damn good opening. Um, here's what here's what I liked about For Your Eyes Only is that there's a whole lot, like I said, you feel that Bond is super capable throughout the entire movie. It has a very classic plot structure that they use a lot, but it doesn't get tiresome. It's not the magic mystery widget that, because that's sort of the thing that um, when it's actually driven about, the, like there are movies that do it similarly, but it's actually about like um, where it becomes anything that you need it to be. Like now uh-huh. the the object desired or, or whatever that is driving the plot forward just becomes a matter of convenience. Everything that you want. This movie is not actually about the ATAC device. It, it's like it, that's what everyone's going for, but it doesn't really matter. Like it, it doesn't matter what it is specifically because it's just a device in the movie. It just drops drives the plot forward, which you might argue is a little bit basic or whatever. But I would argue back that there's too many movies that do things with, you know, uh, superpowers or powers as a matter that that can do anything as a result, and so therefore it, it makes the movie pointless. Right. Um, I liked uh, this one isn't really that villain driven. This one isn't I mean? that villain driven. This one, I I believe this one's uh, what I call well, it's kind of like watching a Wallace and Gromit movie. Did you ever watch Wallace and Gromit? Yeah, it's it's all about reversals. So it's like he's going to uh, – why was he even there? He was at that pool party, right? Yeah. And then he was running away from the pool party, and they blow up his car. It's like, oh, now we can't run away in the car anymore. Yeah. So then he like finds the girl that shoots the guy with the crossbow, and he's able to hop in her tiny car, and, yeah. and they have the car chase there. And uh, – so, like, you think he can't do a cool car chase, but then he does a cool car chase because then he's right. in this thing. They're in the submarine, and then there's, like, another submarine that shows up. It's, like, reversal after reversal where you think something's going to happen, and then that doesn't happen. Or he's climbing yeah. up the mountain, and you think the guy didn't see him anymore. He's not there anymore. He was given the go-ahead to climb to the top, and then the guy's there, and he kicks him off, and he falls off the mountain. <laughs> these reversals kind of move the story forward where you think something's going to happen, like adverts expectations as to what you think is going to be happening in the story to keep you. Yeah. Yeah. There, there is a little bit of that. Um, And, you know, actually come to think of it in terms of reversals, he does a very unbond thing in this movie, Uh, a very unbond thing, but that, that ends up, that is a kind of a reversal. Uh, Do you know what I'm getting at? Uh, when he finds a annoying skater in his bed. Yes, exactly. There's a girl because women just throw themselves at bond. That's a, that's just a trope that we're all used to by this point in the franchise. Like that's just, it's, it's super ridiculous in some places where girls just like seem to be interested for no fucking reason. Like it's like, Oh, he just arrived and he acted kind of like a dick. Like, (laughs) that must that must mean it's all you know but uh but in this movie there's a scene where uh there's a girl actively throwing herself at him and he doesn't go for it which is very uh unique it's very it's very not bond but i thought i thought that was an interesting kind of push in this movie because it's like it goes against exactly what you would expect him to do Uh uh-huh 
And I mean, maybe there was an implication that she's really young. I don't know. It... Yeah. If that's the case, good good for you, Bond, for not rocking yeah. the cradle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, let's see. What else? Uh, there, this one, you know, it does have a Bond girl in it. I do like how capable she is. She's not like because there are some Bond girls who are very one dimensional and just very like they uh, uh, like, for instance, in in Goldfinger, you know what I mean? It's like they're very one dimensional. They don't they don't have any interesting traits and they're just there to be kind of set pieces or something like that. But they don't have any action themselves. Right. Whereas this Bond girl is very capable. She can dive. She can fight. She she shoots crossbows and shit like that. Like. She was capable. It's it's still a little bit suffers from the you know the chauvinist kind of thing that Bond movies kind of do. Uh, uh, yeah, but not not in the intense way that you know some of the earlier ones do, and even some of the later ones do. You know what I mean? It's it's a little bit more balanced. Did um there wasn't a moment where Roger Moore kind of like smacks her? Was there? Uh, she gets smacked, but not by Roger Moore. All right, that happened in the. Diamonds are forever. Yeah. Yeah, that's a Sean Connery thing. He likes smacking the women. That's a Sean Connery thing. I don't, you know, it's a, there's that infamous uh, Barbara, for people who don't know, like go look up this interview with Sean Connery and Barbara Walters. I want to say from the 90s because Sean Connery already looked fairly older. He was like bald, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I think it was from the early 90s and he is basically expositing that, um, you know, like, yeah, I don't think there's anything wrong with giving a woman a, a smack, you know, when she's at, acting out of line or something like that. And it's one of those moments where you would just it, like it only can exist in a different time, because if that was uttered in current day, it's like you're over. Like, it's right. it's all yeah. over, dude. I don't know. You like nobody would say that on television. You know what I mean? It's an insane thing to say. Yeah, super insane. But he. Oh, Sean Connery. Oh, Sean Connery. Um, but yeah, but so you know, she, movie, she definitely is a capable she's, Bond she's girl. She's more capable. She's, you know, and, and this movie basically follows the structure where they're trying to track down this device and they want to get their hands on it before uh, the Russians do. Uh, and there, there's a little bit of um, double crossing, triple crossing in the middle that gets a little bit confusing between... Uh, here's this Greek guy, then there's here's this Greek guy, and they're connecting each other and stuff like that, but then it turns out that the Greek guy that you, or not the Greek guy, the Cuban guy that you thought you wanted to to uh, have Bond kill, it turns out he's actually not the bad guy, and the guy that he was meeting with was, the, was a bad guy. You know, it's like, that gets a little muddled there in the middle. Um, yeah, that, that was a low point for me. I think it's when that um, other girl shows up. Yeah. I don't remember her name. I think she was just only there for Bond to get it on with. Yeah. And because, exactly. you know, because he has to get it on with more than three women per movie. Yeah. I think that she was just there to meet that quota. Right. That's the standard. You have to pump those numbers yeah. up. Yeah. So uh, that, that was the part. I was like, what's going on? This doesn't do anything for the plot. This doesn't move anything forward. Yeah. 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 And the, the Cuban guy at the end, the, that reveal was kind of like, oh, yeah, I should have seen that coming. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It was it was. It's not exactly um, the high point of the movie, but to your point, it's like I like the variety. I think that's the high point of the movie is that not only the variety of like atmospheres, 
um, because you open on something that's completely different than where the movie is. The movie mostly takes place in Greece, mm-hmm. um, which is a unique setting. I, I can't off the top of my head think of another Bond movie that takes place there. So, yeah. Kudos. Kudos. Yeah. Kudos, kudos to that. Um, and uh, and and there's just a whole lot of variety. There's a whole lot of uh, there's there's also these great sequences um, in the snow. Uh, and with like figure skating and shit like that, um, probably the campiest point in this movie is when he gets done hanging out with the figure skater girl, and she leaves, and they're in, in an ice rink, and then all of a sudden these three hockey player goons show up, and now they're trying to fight James Bond on the ice. Yep, that was yeah. definitely uh, out of nowhere. That, but <laughs> that definitely like. I don't know what they were trying. Like maybe they were just trying to keep you feeling like, oh, there's danger and stuff going on. But it's like that could have been cut out from the movie entirely and it wouldn't have made a difference either end of it. Like uh-huh. it, it didn't matter at all. Um, Grizzly agrees. Yeah. He would. Uh, it's, it's a fun bond movie. It's, it's really capable. It's, or, or he's at his most capable in it. It's not, it's, it's tropey, but in a good way. Like I think it's tropey in the way that um, I kind of like, my bond movies to be you know what i mean and in that it's uh-huh. it feels like espn classics it's like yeah i'm not trying to it's not like um my counterpoint would be then some of the mission impossible movies where it's or or actually no the best counter example to this would be uh born movies and this is where i know there's a whole lot of jason born versus bond you know whatever but it's like look every born movie is there's some like subsection of the government that's like a shadow government and they go rogue and they just uh like now they're trying to send people out to kill born but it's like i'm confused even who's a good guy and who's a bad guy and stuff like that and not in a good way where it's like oh this is a twist where it turns out this person that we thought was a good guy is a bad guy it's like no born movies are always complicated to the nth degree about like oh and then there was the really bad one did you ever watch the jeremy renner one uh i did I don't remember it though. Yeah. Completely forgettable and a dog shit movie. The one part that I do remember is that uh it's like there was this secret government program that was injecting them with shit and that he needs to get his hands on those drugs or else he's gonna die or something like that. Like it just I born movies go to the nth degree of complexity. I'm not interested in like all I disagree with like, you on that. I disagree with you on that. Ooh, okay. So now we're hitting some contention here. Yeah, I mean, what's the difference between a shadow underground government conspiracy versus uh, Spectre? Uh, I, I guess on the surface, nothing. But here's the difference. You know overtly who's bad, who's good, whatever. It's like, for this, I have to even... I have to understand what the motivations of the... Like, I know what the motivations of Spectre are to cause uh, uh, disharmony and... And uh, e- uh, like the spread of evil throughout the globe, pulling on especially, you know, the utilization of funding or doing this kind of stuff towards communists. I know what Spectre is up to. What is the point of the secret government organization in Bourne? So like, they could do, they do stuff like Spectre is trying to do. I guess. I so guess. That, my understanding of the Bourne movies is that they're trying to train soldiers to be one man armies, basically. Mm hmm. If that requires chemicals, if that requires a specific type of training and not amnesia, apparently, but like they, they train these people to become these super soldiers to go off and execute, uh, 
you know, assassinate people, do government hit jobs that are kind of untraced, unnoticeable. Mm-hmm. And so the, the Bourne movies are not about a good guy versus a bad guy. If you've noticed, I've, I've noticed in all these Bourne movies, it's a government trying to control their asset, mm-hmm. trying to control their soldier that has gone rogue, that they can't find anymore, that they spent millions of dollars on to train and become someone to do things that are really bad and can make America look bad or their mm-hmm. government look bad. Uh, yeah. So that's, that's what I understand the Bourne movies to be. And it's, it's, I don't see it as this complex plot point. It's kind of like, I don't think necessarily that is the complexity of the plot point. The part that gets complex is when they, is the fact that it starts by being zoomed way the fuck out where they're like hacking into the mainframe or doing something equally tropey or something like that. And then it's like, Oh, here's, we've got a list. We've got a reference names of like, these are all the names of our, you know, whatever it's like the knock list, which is a plot in every movie ever. Like that's, you know, whatever. And so, so then it's just, Oh, and he's, I don't know. I'll, I'll revisit, I guess I'll revisit the Bourne movies. I didn't care for them. I didn't like the, fir- the first one is all about trying to find out who he is. The yeah, second the one first is one about I had grips with like the first one I had some strong grips with the rest of them. I thought were not that enjoyable. Oh, interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. I don't understand you, Atish in your, what you find it. Uh, it's like, you're never satisfied. <laughs> Well, I am never satisfied. Yeah. And it just seems like I, I assume that you would enjoy something like a Bourne movie more because it's more grounded in reality. Like all those things are kind of like real things that could potentially they are, happen. They are. It's it's yeah. In terms of in in terms of reality, Bourne movies are better in that sense than Bond movies because they're far more realistic, far more believable in terms of plot and all that kind of stuff. But that's. That's where it actually is my, like, if I were to study all these things and get really good at them, I would become like Jason Bourne because that's what would actually happen. Like if I learned right. how to speak Farsi and if I took a years of Krav Maga and I, you know, whatever, I would become like Jason Bourne. But the whole time that I'm studying and the whole time that I am like practicing, I would want to be Bond. Right. Because, but Bond already is Bond is the one that does all those things without the training. Well, well the training's implied. <laughs> the training's implied, <laughs> right? I mean, he goes to ski school four times a year. Yeah, he goes to ski school. He does all the hand-to-hand fighting. That's the one thing. That's my one knock on um my my major knock on Roger Moore, which is not a bad thing because the tone of the movies are a little different. He is the least believable Bond in terms of hand-to-hand fighting. The least I can see that I can see he, that he's he's got some good because like the thing with um and and that's why I think that uh bond actually becomes a capture of and and now you're gonna have to follow my thread here because this is like my theory on bond this is my thesis <laughs> this is like what I would be submitting to my PhD dissertation if I ever could get a degree on this kind of nonsense <laughs> my <laughs> I think that Bond is a capture in time. Like each Bond that plays the character is like a screenshot in time of what masculinity looks like, like what the idea of masculinity looks like, right? So when we start with uh, um, Sean Connery, furry, you know, bare chest, 
lots of hair. He's not muscular, but he's a little bit of a brute. Like, he doesn't mind fucking smacking ladies and stuff like that. And uh, he judo tosses some people, but he's not like, you know. Uh, and he is drinking martinis. He's poised, you know, whatever. And that's kind of the idea of, like, what a man is. Then you push towards the 70s there's a little bit of an evolution there you get somebody like roger moore who's a little bit more like worldly and like a little less um rough around the edges he's polished a little bit more he's you know kind of a an and now we push to current we have uh you know what i'll say it i'm gonna drop it we're 40 minutes in we have the best bond that has ever played in the character Daniel Craig, who is so physical in the role because that's the idea of masculinity at the time, is that uh, there's there's a perfect scene. This is the perfect scene in Casino Royale, which, in my opinion, is the best Bond movie. There, I said it. Casino Royale's the best. And in this opening scene, you get this great moment where he's chasing down this guy who's like a parkour guy. Like, he's flipping over shit and jumping and running and all this kind of stuff. And there's this great scene where they're in this building that's being constructed while they're running through it. And uh, you see this guy do this, like, jump and then squeezes himself through this tight duct and just shoots straight through it and hops on through. And what does Bond do? It's just drywall. He just fucking bangs through that wall and crashes through. Because that's the difference. It's highlighting the differences of their physical skill sets but here's Bond, and he's going to make it work no matter what. He, he's a little less polished. He doesn't have all the right moves, but he goes ahead and does it. So that's kind of my thing, is each of the Bonds capture a different moment in time and represent masculinity at that time. Right. Hmm. That's interesting. So that's where, you know, with what I'm ultimately looking for in a Bond, so if we're looking towards the future but also the reason why I picked Diamonds Are Forever is because yeah. I'm looking for, just like what we're looking for in the perfect cocktail or something like that, we're looking for balance. I want a balanced character. I want him to be uh, strong and capable and all this kind of stuff, but Bond also has to be funny, and he has to be quick-witted and very, you know, like he has this kind of sarcastic, and the character, at least in the Ian Fleming books, was written to be kind of like against authority. He he's a, he doesn't do things by the book. Right. Which that, to Roger Moore's credit, you get a lot of that in the Roger Moore ones because um, they have the old Q back then. I, f- I forget what who the actor was or anything like that, but he's, he's to me, he's known as the old Q. Like, he's, he's not... Because um, John Cleese took over, and then now they've got some new kid in the role. But he was the old Q. I forget who he is. Um, but that's always where you get, and especially in the Roger Moore movies, that's where you get the kind of, like, anti-authority kind of thing out of Bond, because he keeps getting instructions on what to do, what not to do, and he completely doesn't fucking do that. He, he runs his own program. He'll bring back the tech as destroyed as he possibly can get it, and I think that really kind of started hitting speed with uh, the Roger Moore movies. Right. I agree. I, I, I don't know. I could see... I do feel like the persona of James Bond is more of what is captured. I don't know what I'm trying to say here. (laughs) 
I'm trying to I'm trying to make a de- definitive decision on a James Bond movie and a James Bond. But before we do that, let's talk a little bit about Diamonds Are Forever. Yes. You know, we uh what is it? How does it open? It opens Diamonds with Forever. him looking for Blofeld. Yes. At, which at was like kind of like a weird... hodgepodge montage. It's got a lot going on in this movie and that's kind of what is weird about it like i can't to be honest with you i can't decide if this is a good thing or not because it doesn't follow the gadget um you know competition with the soviets formula like it's it's more it's like it's kind of like if i had to relate it to a modern movie it's kind of like um what they did with that one wolverine movie you know not the one and not the other and not the other other but that one, like there's been like four or five Wolverine movies, so I know it doesn't point to the right place. But um, where you think it's all over, but it's not. That's basically the thing. And it's, oh, you're, you're talking about the Wolverine. Is that is that the one that it is? It's the it's the one with the the, the Japan, the one that takes. Yeah, place yeah, yeah. that's the Wolverine. Yeah, where yeah. you think the bad guy or like in the Wolverine, you just get bad vibes off this character. You don't even know that he's the bad guy. And then you think he's gone, and it turns out he's not. Right. That's kind of what Diamonds Are Forever is, because the movie isn't really about Spectre, and it's not really about like Russians or anything like that. It's about like diamond smuggling. <laughs> so, and all well, these. But it, but it eventually does turn into. Right. It, it comes back around because then there is a diamond laser. <laughs> yeah, there's a diamond laser that's going to blow up a nuclear base or something like that, right? Yeah. 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 So it so does it does come back around very, and it does very grounded, grounded <laughs> yeah, in reality. Very, yeah. Yeah, very real. Um there's a scene where he escapes in a moon buggy. <laughs> yeah. And there's like a weird uh like a uh, rich money mogul character that's like yeah, a, a like a Vegas guy, like a Howard Hughes, that's like a recluse. Yeah. yeah. yeah that's like yeah. I haven't seen the outside world and Blofeld has a voice machine that makes him talk like him yeah this one is heavy with the weird gadgets you know what i mean there's, like yeah there's not a lot of weird there's not a lot of gadgets but they're all weird they're all weird whereas like you start with ones that are a little bit more grounded in sean connery ones like the briefcase that has a secret compartment for money right you know right. it's like that probably exists right now you know what i mean but then there are the the ones um, Man with the Golden Gun, for instance, is one of these where they just have like the weirdest gadgets you could think of. And they just want to like give him all this weird shit. Yeah. Um, and this one has it's not super gadget heavy. Like, for instance, I think the Brosnan ones are some of the most gadget heavy ones. Definitely. But I think I feel like they added more gadgets because of Q. They wanted more Q moments. Y- yeah, that and also, I mean, probably also a little bit of product placement. Right. Like we remember the cars that showed up in the in the Brosnan ones. Right. I remember like the tank going through Heineken. I remember Heineken was a big sponsor. Yes. Yeah. Still are. Still are. Because when uh, when Bond is in um, in Skyfall, he's he grabs a Heineken, from the which is like, since when does he drink fucking beer? But anyways. Right. Anyways. Um, But uh, but yeah, uh, that's, you know. The Diamonds Are Forever isn't really that gadget heavy, but they're all fucking weird things. It's all it's all like really weird kind of stuff. And so that's what kind of introduces the balance, in my opinion, is that like there's 
campiness, but it's also a uh, Sean Connery, but he's not like hardline Sean Connery. He's older Sean Connery. Like it introduces more balance to the character in my opinion. Right. Okay. I mean, yeah, I mean, the movie is definitely interesting. I, it's set in Vegas a lot. Yeah. A lot of it is in Vegas, which is, I think, weird. Yeah, it's not one of the, and it's and it's like seventies Vegas, right? Right. So it's not yeah. cool Vegas yet. It's no. And they had that weird Vegas act in the middle that was supposed to be funny, and I just didn't get any of the jokes. I'm oh. sure they were hilarious back in 1971. Yeah, yeah. Was, was it's, that it's old kind guy? of like which one? What was his name? That old guy that like told jokes with two girls on his arms. Oh, I don't remember. Anyway, that guy, that was, I didn't find, I don't know. Humor is also different throughout the decades. Yeah. Well, it's like sometimes they introduce these side characters and some of them run for, for the movie, you know, but like sometimes they introduce these side characters, like in some of the Roger Moore ones, there's this like, uh, old Southern sheriff who shows up from time to time. Like he's a, an American Southern sheriff and sometimes he's on vacation and just happens to be where this action is showing. You know what I mean? It's like every now and then Bond movies throw in this like random side character who reappears in some places, but just completely derails the pacing of the movie. Like yeah. it's like, I don't give a fuck about this guy. Like, and right. so that's kind of the thing with the, the Vegas part is that, oh man, speaking of like, I don't know how he didn't touch on this. Uh, Mr. Kid and Mr. Whatever. Oh yeah, those the Mr. White? No. Mr. White and Mr. Kid, Mr. Might be Mr. White, but that doesn't seem like it goes. Whistler. It's Whistler. Mr. Wint. Wint. Yeah. Wint and Mr. Mr. Kid. Yeah. Mr. Wint and Mr. Kid. How about that? And like what I'm presuming is a openly gay assassin duo but i have no like the movie doesn't actually touch it like it just it puts the information out there but it doesn't it doesn't give you any conclusory evidence it's odd it's real odd it is odd and what's even more odd is when you realize that mr wince no mr kid who was the one that was more talking mr wince the one with the, uh, the long hair and the bald one there's like the bald guy with the long hair, the other guy. The other guy, okay. Uh, Mr. Wint, I believe. He is uh, Crispin Glover's father. Crispin Glover was in like Back to the Future, the first episode. Yeah. That was Marty's dad from the past. Yeah, he was like a super weird guy. And his dad is super weird. So you see where he gets <laughs> it from. It's so weird. <laughs> yeah, and they uh, they try to kill people using scorpions and all kinds of shit. It's... Uh, it's a it's a weird part of the movie. Like it's it's odd. Yeah, they're they're odd bad guys or like jaws, you know? They're like the muscle of the movie. It's really an odd selection. Yeah, it's it's a it's cuz you know, you get you're used to people maybe from earlier movies like um like Odd Job is the first one that I recall. That's like the the side villain. You know what I mean? He's not the main villain, but he's got these unique attributes that make him a fun encounter. And odd job was basically like his special traits were number one, he didn't feel pain. So, or like he, you couldn't beat him up. He was, he's just like a stout round kind of man. And number two, he had that hat (laughs) that like had an edge to it. Right. That would cut people's heads off or the statue's heads off. Yeah. So then you go from that to going to Mr. Went and Mr. Kid. And it's like, 
I actually don't know what attributes make them formidable in this movie at all outside of luck, really. <laughs> yeah, they're just there at the right place at the right time. Right, exactly. Yeah, they're weird. It was an interesting movie. He, James Bond talks with the rat in that tunnel. They throw that girl off the building into the pool. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, they have that fight at the oil rig at the end. Mm-hmm. Because Mr. White didn't buy any property in Baja, California. It's just an interesting movie. It's just an interesting movie. I think it's yeah, a, it's it's a weird one. It's not quite as globe trotting as you come to expect out of a Bond movie. Um, and then it just kind of takes like I think the idea was for it to be different, but in it being different, it doesn't quite hit the same notes as a lot of the other movies do. Right. Which is not all the time a bad thing. You get some unique stuff, but then there's a lot of like, I, I don't know. My focus was more on Bond himself. The uh, the other like accompanying parts of the story get a little wacky, but I like the idea of having a Bond who hits all the stuff, right? You don't want him to be too campy, jokey, whatever but you don't want him to be too hardline, gritty, violent, but you don't want him to be uh, too, uh, what, like, I call, well, I don't know. I don't know if I want to give that away because I've, I've got a, I've got a, ah, why not? Let's, let's get into it. Let's get into it. I have it. a major problem. There's one bond that people of my age group all the time say is the best bond that I disagree with so hard and i end up having this conversation all the time timothy people, dalton no <laughs> people of my people of my generation oftentimes think pierce brosnan is the best bond and okay. i i say to them that that's they're just getting confused because they the first bond movie that they probably saw was goldeneye because that was like the first real big one right and so, therefore, they think that that is the best, like, lineup of the role. And Goldeneye, honestly, isn't all that bad in that kind of sense. I think it does line up with the idea of what Bond is supposed to be uh, in, in a general sense. I think Pierce Brosnan is not even in my top three best Bonds. Or top really? Yeah. He's, Interesting. He's, he's a fop, man. He's a fop. FOP, he's a fop. He is not believable in the role. He hits the notes, what he does perfect. There are two things that he does perfect. Okay. The quippiness, which is important. You need somebody who can fire back a good line, you know, whatever. Um, and and he does it both in the in the jokey way and in the serious way. Uh that line at the end of Goldeneye, when that guy, when uh the guy who dies every time in every movie. Um, he's in Game of Thrones, you know. Oh, uh, Eric something. No, uh, Sean Bean, Bean Sean or Bean. Beam might be. I don't know. I think it's Sean, Beam. Yeah, Bean, Bean. Um, he says uh, he does a callback because they were both uh, MI MI six agents, and at the beginning of the movie they say uh, for England. So he says for England, James. You know, whatever. Like we have to do it. At the end, he's about to fucking drop him, and he says, for England, James? And then uh, Pierce Brosnan says, no, for me. Mm. Like, it's like, 
Pierce Brosnan does that very well. I will give him credit that he does the jokey ones just as good as the serious ones. And you need that in a Bond. You need the, it's, it draws all the way back to the original, you know, Sean Connery will say shocking, positively shocking, you know, whatever. And all right, that, all right. That kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You need that rapid fire because the idea is that Bond is never encumbered by like a situation. He's able to handle things effectively to the point where he can even be joking about it. Like that's the idea. He does that very well, and I will say he is a very believable, you know, or at least more than the old movies. He's a more believable lady seducer, which is an, another <laughs> is an important part of the character. It's yeah, an important yeah, yeah, part yeah. of the character. But he's completely physically not believable. Uh, the one thing I will say is that I think he's the tallest Bond, and so therefore he does have kind of like some stature in terms of shots that you see. Uh-huh. But he's not physically believable at all. The fight scenes are just ri- like ridiculous. Even kind of the older stuff with Roger Moore doing, uh, you know, some kind of shoulder tosses and stuff like that is more believable than Brosnan. I don't believe the physical aspect of it at all. Um, those movies also suffer from being getting a little bit more product placement and being a little bit gadget driven. For instance, the invisible car or the the self-driving car that you can do, you know, whatever it's like, they kind of suffer from that part as well. So Pierce Brosnan to me does not represent, he's not a balanced bond. He's not, he's not, you know what I'm looking for. So this brings me to my argument for the best bond is that it's Daniel Craig, right? Daniel Craig is the best Bond we have had thus far because he takes the hardline gritty stuff, which I think Sean Connery did, and that I think Timothy Dalton did in License to Kill. That's the one that I I always remember that one because, A, he lights somebody on fire, (laughs) which is like, that might be a little too crazy for the sequence. He's not like a cartel guy. You know what I mean? He's not lighting people on fire. Like, that was a little too far on the other edge. But also that he, that was kind of his least quippy engagement. He was just kind of more hardline and serious, you know? So we get a Bond who's able to do that stuff. And they tell you in the reboot of the franchise, Casino Royale, right from the get-go, they tell you what the deal is. Because Bond's kill isn't pretty. It's not, you know, whatever. He smashes a guy through a sink and then fucking drowns him uh-huh. in it. You know what I mean? They tell you right away that this is a different Bond. This is a physical. This is a, you know, whatever. And he's more built. He's more stacked than any other Bond there's ever been. But, but, he still dresses up sharp. He gets to the dinner scene, you know, whatever. They, um, he is still quippy. He still makes makes the jokes here and there, you know, whatever. Even in the most dire situations, his uh, heart's about to fail and they need to, you know, whatever. And they say, Bond, you need to listen. And he's like, hey, I'm all ears. You've got my full attention, whatever. Like, he's still quippy and still jokey. And on top of that, they integrate. And this is where I start to lose people. This is This is where people who are you know, fans of the series or whatever, this is where they start to disagree with me and they say you're full of shit and whatever. They introduce a sensitivity to Bond that only George Lazenby had. Okay. You know what I mean? He's, he's like wounded, he's damaged, he's brooding, whatever. And sure, they make that the focus of the next three movies, <laughs> you know, after, after the first <laughs> one. Maybe they didn't have to hold on to that for so long. But I think that's what makes him such a balanced Bond. He's capable, he's jokey, he can, you know, whatever, but he's also very serious and hard line. He's, he's the snapshot of exactly kind of what we're looking for. That, that's just my opinion. 
Okay, that's a pretty solid opinion. Um, that's interesting. So, uh, okay, so to go back to your previous uh, thesis statement, nope, your PhD right. statement of what Bond is, you uh, skipped over Pierce Brosnan. Ah, yes. Why did you do that? Because I'm, I might be, I'll, I'm open to the fact that I might be particularly uncharitable to our friend Pierce Brosnan. Because, A, I may have, like, everything that I'm realizing about this thesis statement is in reflection. Right. Right? I wasn't alive during, you know, Dalton, Lazenby, Roger Moore, uh, uh, Connery. No, I wasn't. I mean, I, I was alive while Roger Moore was alive, but not while he was Bond. Right. He was born in 91. Who was doing it in 91? I think Brosnan was already doing it. Brosnan was in uh, 95. So he was, that oh. was the first one you would have been able to see in the theater. It was in 95. At four okay. years old. E. Yeah. Well, I didn't. So, you know, whatever. Um, uh, but yeah, so that my thing with Brosnan, the thing about Brosnan is that I watched those movies while not being an adult reflecting on these movies like I am with everybody else. Right. I watched them at 13, you know, or whatever, you know, age I was. And so therefore I might be a little bit less favorable of him because he might not have been the represent like the the representation of masculinity that uh I'm per- personally chasing after. Like, you see what I'm saying? Like like Well, yeah, I mean like they're coming out of a time where you're kind of finding who you are as a person. Right. And this so is I not might- the masculine you want to be you want to be right. daniel was, craig exactly so so what i'm what i completely will say i will give the asterisk that i don't really care for pierce brosnan's representation but that could be because he's the one bond that i'm watching when i'm actually in the time period uh well i mean craig i am too but that was uh i was a little bit older and i was in that that frame already you know what i right. mean whereas yeah, yeah, yeah. Brosnan, I might be un I not I might not be appreciating enough because he's the one that was really in that time zone when I was watching the movies live at that same you know so so it's just a little bit different than watching the movies and reflecting on them or as was the case with Craig I already knew who Bond was supposed to be I already had the trope in my head oh yeah he's uh you know funny he does uh all kinds of like combat and he's really good in chases and stuff like that he's a one-man army and uh he's really good at seducing ladies and being suave and all that kind of stuff so then when daniel craig did it it seemed like he did it better than brosnan so therefore i liked it better but again that might just be my personal uh like viewpoint on it but then because i was actually living that time live not reflecting on it it might be different but who has Daniel Craig's Bond really seduced, though? Oh, uh, Monica Bellucci, right off the top. Um, the the lady, he killed her husband and he still uh, pulls that one off. Um, the one thing that I will say is that they, uh, it's also, it's like, it's more believable, but I don't know if that's necessarily that good. It's like, um, and to be fair, they had the benefit of doing a Bond origin story where you right. can make Bond a different character and have him turn into. So the reason why he's such a womanizer and stuff like that is because he doesn't trust women after that thing with uh, Ava Green in the first movie. Right. I, w- Which, I will. S- go ahead. You go. 
Well, I was going to say, which, by the way, I mean, that's a pretty cool uh, seduction, right? That's a person who actively doesn't want to get involved with him because she is like handing off to the bad guy or she wants something else. And so but she does anyways and ends up actually falling in love with him. That's, That's like a, a good character arc. You can compare that to Helen Mirren and Papa and Underfoot Journey. That's like the the story highlights of it. It wasn't James Bond seducing her. Like he wasn't trying to get in the entire movie. He was just mm. following That's the plot fair. of the story. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess that was it was architected. It wasn't exactly. Yeah, that's fair. I feel the need to defend Pierce Brosnan a lot in this conversation because <laughs> uh, Pierce Brosnan kind of has like the short end of the stick in this uh timeline of bond movies i mean the 90s was a hard time to be in a cool movie i uh-huh. mean we were we we're trying out new technologies we we're trying to figure out what things like society was changing at the time uh-huh i mean we're coming out of the 80s where you know it was either you had either arnold or you had like a bruce willis type as your yeah. action star mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. and like that masculinity was kind of interesting and bizarre and you flash forward to even like casino royale times it's it turned more into uh I feel like popular movies at the time were, 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 it was like reverting back to legit skill and being actually able to do things. Mm. So I think that might've been when, um, I'm going to look this up and I'm probably gonna be way wrong, <laughs> but, um, I, I want to say, uh, Tony Ja. No, is that his name? Yeah. Tony Ja. Ong Bok. Is, it, is that when Ong Bok started coming out and like the, the protector? The, like, yeah. That was like 2006. I want to say. Right. So this came out in 2000, like Casino Royale came out in 2006. Yeah. So then we, we started having this uh, fascination with people that can like really do things mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. really go out. I think, uh, you know, like parkour was becoming a thing, yes. obviously, because it was highlighted in the movie. Yeah. So it's uh, it's like like people physically being able to do these things without wire work, like the like stunts were starting to come back into play. Mm-hmm. So we've kind of gone from cool, suave guy that's just like coming from a time where if you wore a suit, you spoke to them in a certain way. Like, mm. th- like there were, there was more formalities. There were more, uh, there's an etiquette in society. I feel like back when Sean Connery was James Bond, right? We flash forward to uh golden eye. It's like a weird time. It's like, we're coming off the eighties. It's like pre nineties. It's like, what's going on here. Is it too quippy? Is it not quippy enough? It's like, what do we do here with this guy? Mm. So yeah, I feel I, like I think you, this is this is my uh, question. I'm going to ask you: If <laughs> Pierce Brosnan made at the same age that Pierce Brosnan was in '95 when GoldenEye came out, mm-hmm. made that in 2006, he would not have been skinny Pierce Brosnan guy. Yeah, no, you're right. Yeah, he would have. Right. He would have jacked up. He would have gotten more physically capable of being. The, the convention role. would have been there yeah. for him to. Yeah, they would have put him with a nutritionist, and because that's what they do now. Like I think that was exemplified with that comedian, uh, uh, Camille Mumjani or something like that. Yeah, yeah, you know exactly yeah. who I'm talking about. Where he was just like, yeah, they set me up with a with a trainer and a nutritionist and a chef who would be making all my meals. It's like. That's kind of become the, you're right, that became an industry standard, but later, that wasn't in Pierce Brosnan's time. Like, I don't remember movies. Sure, you still had, you know, the Arnolds and stuff like that who already were that person, and the movie was kind of more built around that. Right. But you're right. I, I think you're right, because that's that was certainly true for Brosnan, or 
damn it, uh, for uh, Craig, because I remember after that movie came out, they did like a, a firm push. He was on all the like uh, men's health men's or fitness. men's fitness. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah. so you're right. It's like that maybe was an industry standard after that period of time. It definitely right. wasn't, you know, during uh, 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 Connery, Moore, Timothy Dalton, you know, whatever. It's like they all did not have that standard of like. Oh yeah, we need to make this guy look a certain way to to do this movie. Whereas now, anybody who even gets touched into the MCU, you're gonna get a trainer and you're gonna get jacked and like all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and horse steroids and all that fun stuff. Yeah, yeah, like that's what at least um, Hugh Jackman is open about it. He's like, "Oh yeah, like we did a cycle of steroids. How could you not? You know, right. it's like Wolverine because the difference. I, I remember there's a meme that shows the difference. There's Wolverine in X-Men 1, the original one, where it's just like, yeah, he looks like the kind of guy you'd meet in a bar. It's like, I'm not going to try and fight him because he looks rough and all that kind of stuff. But he just looks like some guy. Yeah. And then you push forward to the Wolverine. That was the the Japan one. Holy shit. He's yeah. like, yeah, like, yeah, he's yeah. like he's absolutely just burst out of his skin. Yeah. Yeah, he looks just insanely jacked. So it's like you're right. I think the you you're right there that the the standards for who your action hero was and what they looked like and what they you know whatever. I guess that did change. And I'm not saying that all of his movies are great. I feel like they're not. I do Which feel like the- Golden Eye is his best one. And I appreciate Tomorrow Never Dies because of Michelle Yeoh. I, I'm a big fan of Michelle Yeoh. Yeah, her and uh, that sequence that sequence that they did where they're both riding that because they're handcuffed, so they start the motorcycle ride riding like this, but then Bond can't effectively do this, and she so she can't effectively shoot. So then they switch, so she's facing the other way, and that's kind of fun. I I, yeah. I, I do yeah. like that sequence. So I mean, I feel like the, his first two are his best ones, and then the other ones are forgettable. He only made four, so. Yeah, good let's on, see. It's, good on him. It's uh, it's the world is not enough to, or no, it go, in order it goes. Goldeneye. Yep. Is this first? Yep. Okay, Goldeneye. Tomorrow never dies. The world is not enough, and then die another day. Yeah. Out of those four, die another day is are easily the worst. Uh, out of all the Bond movies, it's the worst one. Oh, out of all of them altogether. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. It could be. It certainly could be. The only part that I thought was cool um, was the uh, sword fight scene kind of in the middle where he doesn't realize that that bad guy is the ultimate bad guy. But they have that sword fight scene in the beginning, and then they kind of reprise that at the end, but this time Halle Berry's doing it. I thought that was kind of fun. Yeah. Um, But yeah, the the movie in and of itself is just not good and completely forgettable. Um, Well, it started off this trend of like oh we have to keep revisiting the older bond movies Hmm. it's like uh i feel like wasn't that one like an anniversary one that's why halle berry came out of the ocean oh and just like a doctor no i feel like yeah even in like daniel craig's they always have to go back to the original car they always keep yeah they they always do the old aston martin they always just yeah yeah, they keep going back to things like that so uh, it's just I'm pretty sure in Die Another Day, he walked through the gadgets with Q and there was like that old rocket was there from, uh, was it Goldfinger? What was the rocket that Sean Connery used? I think it was uh, from Russia with Love, maybe. 
But he oh, had like a mean, rocket pack. Oh, the jetpack. That's uh, from Thunderball. Yeah. Thunderball. Yeah. So yeah. I'm pretty sure Chris Brosnan did a walk by that with Q and they yeah, had a moment yeah, with yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I, I feel like in the, that weird 90s time, it was all about merchandise and franchise. Not franchise mm-hmm. in the sense of making a franchise, but we, we need to sell toys at McDonald's. We need to and sell auxiliary stuff. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it happened with the even like... Um, the Batman movies and Batman and Robin came out. It was all about mm-hmm. the sell mugs at McDonald's. And even though it was yep, a yep. garbage movie, it was like leaning more towards being more campy for family friendly content. So they could push yep. more merchandise, which is uh, not the case anymore. Now it's yeah. you know about making a decent movie. And so I feel like Daniel Craig is definitely hopped on the more serious train versus Pierce Brosnan, which was hopping on a serious train, but then they took him campy. Like he went Sean Connery to Roger Moore really fast. Yeah, no, no, that's definitely, that's definitely true. All right. So have you seen all the uh, Craig ones? Yes. Okay. So there's four, right? Yeah, there's four. Just for my, like, you know, your personal opinion, go ahead and rank all four of the Craig ones. Ooh, uh, Skyfall's number one, mm-hmm. C- Casino Royale's number two, mm-hmm. then Spectre, then Quantum of Solace. Yeah, I think everyone pretty much agrees on that. The only thing I switch between uh, Casino Royale and Skyfall, I prefer Casino Royale over Skyfall. The only reason is b- because I like the Skyfall movie where it falls apart for me is A, um, it ruins the theory that I think would have worked really well for the Bond franchise, which is that Bond is actually a code name. And I think a Roger Moore one technically ruined this one, that theory earlier also, but it's so obscure that nobody remembers it. Yeah. So nobody knows. But it's like the the theory that Bond is just a code name and anybody is Bond. And that would mean that would make sense then why it goes from Connery to this person to this person. Like it can make all those events actually happen in series or in sequence. Um, but then they get rid of that because now Bond is actually his family name and uh, he has like a, an adoptive parent's home or some shit like that. And they kind of home alone it for a little while, which bugged me like that sequence kind of bugged me. Yeah. Um, but outside of that, you know, I thought Skyfall was really good. Um, and it it starts the question like that's sort of the question is like, when are you done? Like, when are you over? When is it? When is it over? Right. Can you can you trade it? And and that was kind of the thing. That's what tonally would have made sense if it was Craig's last Bond movie, because it's like, you know, it it, it asks the question because it starts saying, you know, he meets Q and Q says, like, oh, I bet I could do more in a morning with my laptop than you could do uh, out with a year out in the field or something like that. So mm-hmm. it starts to show that there's, there's a shift, there's a shift. And, and what Skyfall proves is at the end of the day, you still need someone out there who can pull the trigger and like, who can do whatever, like that's what Skyfall's message is about. And then we followed up with Spectre and it's like tonally different and you know, whatever it's, I, I, I didn't quite get the, you know, the push. It, it felt, it, it Spectre felt like, uh, everyone's phoning it in and nobody wanted to be there. That's the part that makes me, it's like, if Craig doesn't want to be there, don't make him be there. Right. Like, I think we got really good performances out of him at the front end of this franchise. People tend to hate on Quantum of Solace. But if we look at Quantum of Solace, much like we do Blind Fury, that it's a Rampage movie, because that's what it is, right? He's trying to, he won't admit it to anyone, but he's out there getting revenge. 
eh, it starts to look a little different. It, but it's not really a Bond movie, though. There's not really. It doesn't really hit all the marks for a Bond movie. No, it it doesn't quite do that. It does, you know. And to be fair, I'm defending Craig movies the most because I like him the most. You know what I mean? So it's, but but you're right. It doesn't quite hit the same notes as even you know like that's what we were talking about for um for your eyes only is that it really kind of hits a lot of the a lot of the stuff. You know, it's mm-hmm. it's in an older package and it's you know, but. It hits kind of the same U.S. versus the Soviets kind of thing. It hits the same like he does have talent in, uh, you know, many a myriad of areas that are all different. But he's also rough and tumble, but he can also be quippy and all that kind of stuff. Like it, it hits the notes, whereas Quantum of Solace is a little bit more like that one could also be a born movie, basically. Right. But I, I do think Quantum of Solace is better when you watch it immediately after yes. Casino Royale because then all the context is there. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's it's one of those things that if you're already drilled into the story, it kind of just carries yeah. on through. Yeah, and then you can you don't need to worry about what's not being presented because you already know it because yeah. the other movie did it better. Yep. All right, let's let's cap off. Go ahead and rank your bonds for me. Oh my gosh, all the bonds, all the bonds. And if you don't do- have an opinion about one, just leave them out, and and therefore they're they're just not ranked. They're not at the bottom, but they're not ranked. Gosh, I don't know, man. It's like a, it's a tough one. I mean, if I were to like, there's like a Bond movie and each Bond that I could say, I don't mind watching again. Yeah. Like there, there's hits, hits and misses throughout them all. Yeah. And that's, that's the confusing thing about Roger Moore is because he's done it the longest. He's had the most, he has some of the weakest ones, but he also has some of the strongest ones. Right. So I don't know, man. All right, I'll shoot you mine. Actually, let me get a list up because I might miss. Uh, because Lazenby, I never think of like uh, all the. The movie wasn't that bad. Have you seen the documentary about Lazenby? I haven't watched the documentary. It's interesting. Um, okay, so I'm going. I'm using a list, but I disagree with their order. Uh, actually, entirely. Okay. So here's my order from best to worst. Daniel Craig, number one. Mm-hmm. I already said it. People disagree with me, but that's just how I feel. Daniel Craig, number one, followed by number two, Sean Connery. Followed by number three. Um, I might give that to Roger Moore. Okay. I, I, I might give that to Roger Moore just because it's like some of his movies – Octopussy is one of the weakest ones ever. It's so just tropey and stuff like that. And it's in India. I wanted that one to be great. And it wasn't. Um, So he has some of the really campy, some of the worst ones. Um, In fact, yeah, I think one of them, he's dressed as a clown. Like that's one of his, uh, you know, like disguises. It drives me. Yeah, that was a weird one. Yeah, that's a weird one. And he's not exactly he's. You know, by the end of his career or at the end of his Bond career, he's really kind of old and out of shape. But he has a lot of the like really fun ones. Live and Let Die, I think, was a pretty standout one. It's very unique. It has voodoo. It's, you know, whatever. I actually I thought For Your Eyes Only was a good one. You know, it was it was solid. Um, So I think he's just as he did more. There's probably some weak ones in there. Uh, Moonraker, I find pretty particularly weak as well but he also has the good ones so that he also has some of the good ones and he ultimately like 
they're fun to watch. Like, even though I would say Man with the Golden Gun is not a good movie by any stretch of the imagination, nor a good Bond, it's fun to watch. So right. maybe maybe that's enough. Like, it certainly is enough for number three on my list. Um, number four... Number four, I give to T-Dalt. Uh, I, I like License to Kill. It's a little hard line. Um, he was a little bit more serious and gritty in that one. Although, to be honest, I forget the other one entirely. Like, I, I don't even know. I know he's in two, and one of them is License to Kill, and I don't fucking remember the other one. Uh-huh. So, so beats me. Um, then Pierce Brosnan, number five, and Bring It In The Rear. Lazenby. Interesting. Interesting. Well, because it's like he, I don't know, on Her Majesty's Secret Service was A, it completely kind of bucks the rest of the curve. So it's it's a little different than any of the other Bond movies. I mean, he gets married in it for Christ's sakes. Right. Uh, so that's, but maybe that's a good thing, but it's like he suffers from exactly the opposite of what makes Roger Moore higher on my list. Roger Moore was able to balance out his career. I'm able to have fun with him on some of the weaker ones, and he has some of the better ones that, you know, he's done enough. Yeah. B only did the one. I have no fucking idea. Like, it was all right, and that's my only impression of it. He he didn't have the opportunity, so it's not really his fault. It's just, unless he quit. I think he quit, so fuck him. All right, so we might not be friends after this. Uh-oh. So I'm going to make my decisions based off my favorite movies. Of okay. the Bond movies. Okay. I think the best Bond movie all time, hands down. Goldeneye. Okay. So Pierce Brosnan, number one. Oh my God. <laughs> yep. Okay. Followed by Roger Moore, because I feel like he balances both the camp, the action. Okay. Everything you like about a Bond movie. Roger Moore, number yeah. two. He's got it both. Yeah. Sean Connery, number three. Just because. Oh my god, we're not fucking friends. <laughs> he's a glass. He's a classic. Yeah. Uh, Daniel Craig, Lazenby. Wait, there's one more. There's T. Dalton. T. Dalton is above Lazenby. Okay, so it went Craig Dalton Lazenby. Yes. Those are my those are my selections, and I stand by them firmly. All right. Well, I, I respect your choice. I think you're wrong, <laughs> but but I'm gonna tell you, Goldeneye. Your... Goldeneye's a banger. Yeah, I actually I haven't watched Goldeneye in a little while, but it's on Netflix. I'm gonna go probably pop that on after this. And yeah, it's got uh, Famke Jensing is in it. Yeah, please, yeah. Famke Janssen. What the fuck is wrong with Fam- you, Famke Janssen? Yeah. <laughs> I push on it's I push on everyone that way. It's like when uh, people order Gouda. It's pronounced Howda. Howda? Is that really how Howda. you say it? Yeah. But if I Howda. order it like that, no one's going to serve me what I want. That's uh, yeah, that's true. Nobody will know what the fuck you mean. But if you go to Holland and you want this Dutch cheese, it's pronounced Howda. Just like it's not pr- pronounced Van Gogh, it's pronounced Van Gogh and it's anyways, it's pronounced Famke Janssen. <laughs> uh, but to end on a lighter note, the director of Diamonds Are Forever directed my favorite movie of all time uh Remo williams adventure begins really yeah there's some interconnectivity here yeah sacred geometry there you go all right well there you have it people i still don't agree with chris's uh order i don't think he agrees with mine but i'm gonna go meet him in the middle and i'm gonna pop on um golden eye after this 
I think in general, just to wrap it all up, the Bond series is a great one. I mean, just it's hard to think of franchises that have even made that many movies. The Fast and the Furious is certainly on their way up. Um, and, and they're definitely one that I would point to next. And Chris and I will be working our way through those as well. So uh, trust me, we're, we're going to be working on the Fast and the Furious project. But it's a great movie series. It's got something for everyone. You know, it can be super funny. And it can, you know, there's ones that are just like B movies that you would want to watch with your friends. All the way up to, you know, what one would say is arguably a good movie, whether your idea of that is Goldeneye like Chris or whether your idea of that is Casino Royale like myself. Um, it's It's got something for everyone. So uh, whether or not it is actively trying to be a snapshot of masculinity of the time that the movie is made, that remains to be seen by my uh, formal dissertation. But, uh, but yeah, it's a great series. Go check them out. And most of all, you know, um, from Ramen Profitable. Happy holidays, all that kind of stuff. Happy New Year. Yes, Happy New Year, Happy Holidays from us at Ramen Profitable. We can't wait to see you next year. <laughs>